My name is Indiana Jones. Tonight, come join one swinging guy with his beautiful heroine. Who are you? And faithful sidekick in their greatest adventure. We are going to die. Relive this breathtaking adventure. Kate Capshaw and Harrison Ford. In Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, next. It's time to talk about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Are you ready? You will go to Pencott Palace. Ah, it seems that you are. Drop the stones, Dr. Jones. They will be found. You won't. Oh, is this going to be the whole show? You can do it. Feel inside. All right, so there's a lot of quotes. I get it. Hang on, lady. We're going for a ride. Lady? You're clearly in the zone. Prepare to meet Kali in hell. Are you trying to develop a sense of humor or am I going deaf? Hey, now you're in the zone too, Adam. This is great. <laughs> All right, it's the Ford Fiesta. I'm Adam Kalima Witt. And I'm Paul Shakti Day Preston. And yes, more Indiana Jones. Oh, so exciting. The sequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark is technically a prequel, mm -hmm. and the slate around Indy has been wiped clean. No Sala, no Marcus, no Nazis, no CIA guys, no Marion, no Belloc. It's a whole new situation. That we'll tell you more about in the patented Movie Guys recap. And there's more sharing of artists as director Steven Spielberg brings in the writing team of Gloria Katz and Willard Hike from Lucas's American Graffiti to script Temple of Doom. Is this more genius incest, Paul? A term you use to describe the 70s where these geniuses just keep working together and creating amazing art? Well, they also wrote Howard the Duck, so... All right! Look, we'll have plenty of time to talk about the creative team later, but first... What's new in the world of Harrison Ford? Happy to tell you, and Adam, you'll be excited about this. There is a new line of Hasbro Indiana Jones figures coming out. Oh, Six-inch figures based on the Raiders of the Lost Ark characters. So you get Indy, all the ones I just mentioned, not in Temple of Doom. They're coming out in a new six-inch uh, figure line. Well, that's what's interesting is the original ones came out and I only ever had tote for some reason because the Indiana Jones figures you couldn't find. And there were some other figures, but for a kid who had every Star Wars action figure, I had one Raiders of the Lost Ark figure and it was tote. I had zero and I had one given to me when I was an adult and it was indie, but it never came out of the box. I kind of just kept it in the box for some reason like that would be the one that is worth something the one that came out probably in the mid 2000s right but i still got it but uh yeah the star wars out of the boxes played with to death we made videos with them you know the deal yeah not raiders so much yeah i did have a temple of doom action figure and that was a six inch one i think the others were the three and three quarters or whatever the star wars height is but the temple of doom i did have an indiana jones of that one which was cool and then there was packed shelves full of molarum there was just so much. <laughs> nobody wanted Molarom. But I mean, I feel bad. I'm feeling bad for that actor. I'm feeling bad for, you know, we can't, couldn't remember his name. And nobody wanted his action figure either. But there was always that time when you go to the toy store and it would just be nothing but like Death Star Commander or whatever. Like all the good ones are gone. It's just the, you know, 
It's probably how I got tote. Probably nobody wanted tote either. Is he like McLovin now, Mola Ram, where he just he comes in the liquor store? Hey, Mola Ram, you want some? Uh, <laughs> what do you? What'll it be? I'll have another bottle of vodka. You know. You know, there was a time when actors really never embraced their legacy over things like that. But they're like, look, I don't want to be known for that. But I mean, I wonder if that guy's like, please, somebody recognize me as Mulleron. Oh, as a Howard Stern fan, I, I know he's always going on about John Heater. Just be Napoleon Dynamite. Make five more. Now, where are you? Just, you should have just done all nothing but Napoleon Dynamites. Oh, he had to stretch. Well, Googling Harrison Ford gets you as we always mention, something from the Daily Mail. But this is not about Harrison Ford specifically. Sean Mendez, who is a pop star, dressed up as Indiana Jones for Halloween. And of course, because he's a young punk, he was hot indie with ripped sleeves. So Sean Mendez was dressed up as Indiana. So still an icon, you know, to this day and forever, of course. I do love the alt of going as Indiana Jones for Halloween, which hundreds of people have done. You've done. I've done. But to go as Temple of Doom with the ripped sleeves and all that stuff. I didn't know he's being hot, but like that's kind of a cool alt. <laughs> that's true. I didn't even think. You I know? just thought he's a, you know, a, a young hot kid. So he wanted to look like a hot kid, you know, not I want to be indie, but I also need to see people. I got guns, you know. Yeah. But like the alt version. That might have been it. Because so I always thought it was interesting that he had the tie on in Last Crusade. You never see enough indies with the tie on, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's a unique look, too. It's like a brown tie with beige shirt or something. Yeah, or, and it's uh, tied up to the top. It's like he's all buttoned up and ready to go, and yet he's whooping Nazi ass. So. Yeah. All right. Well, one more, <laughs> of course, uh, recurring segment before we get to the recap. <laughs> This date in Ford history. History, history, history. Thank you for the echo. October 10th, 2010, Morning Glory is released. So this is an October movie. You know, Harrison Ford coming out of the summer staple that he's been. You know, I think maybe Crystal Skull was probably the last big summer movie led by Harrison Ford that we had. First time I ever saw it during the pandemic. I had to like catch up on some stuff, and I realized I'd never saw Morning Glory, oh. so I caught it during lockdown. Me too. It's amazing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> it's, I mean, he's so... I love how they found how to use him as a comic character. He's so funny in that movie. As a grump. Oh, Embrace God. the grump. Hashtag. Oh, so good. <laughs> I had lunch with Dick Cheney. I had lunch with Dick Cheney. I laid a cool towel on Mother Teresa's forehead. <laughs> like all the dumb like things that like he should be proud of because they were good things to do or whatever like I, well the lunch with dick cheney is the punchline but yeah and the bickering and the bantering <laughs> with uh, diane keaton's funny especially this oh, who's gosh, gonna yeah. sign off last so they just right. gonna time so it's, good. they just keep back and forth who's gonna sign off of the news before <laughs> like they have to pull the plug on the damn show uh it was pretty funny october 12th 2017 so just uh, more recently Harrison Ford rescues a woman from a car accident what? in Santa Paula because, of course, he does. Oh, my God. I didn't even know about this one. I'm always going on about how he's an actual hero who actually flies and actually fights crime and actually, <laughs> you know, does all the stuff you want to. He and Cruz. That's what they do. Yeah. But he was in Santa Paula, and I went there for the first time ever, like, very recently. I went out there to... A park and there was some other stuff out there i think there's a winery that my girlfriend wanted to go to 
I don't know what takes him out there because it's not like along any kind of freeway or anything. I mean, there's there's a road up there, but it's you're out in the woods, kind of. I've never heard of Santa Paula. A 63-year-old lost control of her vehicle. It swerved into the center of the road and eventually into the eastbound lanes and down an embankment. Jeez. Ford just there with a friend, helped her from the vehicle, and ensured she was all right before leaving the scene. So he made sure she was okay. Authorities arrived. He took off. Didn't have to be there. He never saw the accident, so he wasn't needed as a witness. And she only had minor injuries. But, again, I, I remember a friend of mine who told me a story about being in a car accident and literally Dennis Quaid opened the door to help her out. And she was like, what? Like, can you imagine there, you know, Oh no, what a horrible thing. My car. And then Harrison Ford opens the door to see if you're okay. All right. (laughs) We're going to a winery, but it just seems like you got to mess up here. Yeah. As we've said in various other circumstances, you're in a car accident, you're, Oh my God. And then someone's there to help you. Oh, thank goodness. Someone's here to help and call the police. And, it's Harrison Ford. Come on. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's awesome. God, what a great guy. Isn't he great? Isn't it great falling in love a little more with Harrison Ford with every movie, Paul? Yes. We've re-imitated the journey of falling in love with him as a kid, because now we're in the same movies where we were falling in love. But we forget. We get older. You don't go see Ender's Game on opening day. You don't get as excited. And you and I, two bona fide Harrison Ford fans, said... Let's fall in love with Harrison Ford all over again. <laughs> that and is really what back. this was. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Let's go over the shows, comedically talk about them, and re- no, we're falling in love again. Are right, falling in love? Oh my gosh, I'm just <laughs> I'm so in love with it. And boy, in this movie. Ha ha. Yeah. This movie has a movie star in it, Paul. <laughs> a real movie star. Tell oh wait, uh, first I should also mention October 14th, 1977, Heroes is released. Uh Five months after Star Wars to capitalize on that. Right after Star Wars and right after Smoking the Bandit, because that is Harrison Ford and Sally Field, right? And Fonzie. And Fonzie. (laughs) Right, he's Fonzie, Mola Ram, McLovin. That's what they just go through life (laughs) That's what you get for being an icon, Henry Winkler. On the last Ford Fiesta, we talked about how The Empire Strikes Back left on such a cliffhanger that it was brutal to wait three long years to see what happened next in the Star Wars saga. On the other hand, Raiders of a Lost Ark wrapped up nicely. So why should we expect more adventures from the world's greatest archaeologist? Because Steven Spielberg and George Lucas are the gifts that keep on giving. Oh my God, and so we have another indie adventure, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Let's tell you what it's about with our patented Movie Guys recap. Does the joy ever end for Harrison Ford fans in the 80s? Considering it's a decade that begins with The Empire Strikes Back and ends with Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the answer is a definite no. Just when you thought Harrison Ford bliss had reached a peak, three-time Han Solo goes away and becomes a two-time Indiana Jones. I cannot describe the joy of being 11 years old and having all of this unfold. The year is 1935, and the Ark is still lost, because it's a prequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark, showing how Indiana Jones became the man who would find the Ark and fend off the Nazis by first being turned into a zombie to acquire sacred stones from an Indian village. But before all that, we start, as I think you'd expect an Indiana Jones movie to begin, with a musical number. Yeah, I've got... uh, Wait, what? Yes, a lush showgirl number of Anything Goes in Chinese, directed Busby Berkeley style by the greatest director of all time. 
It adds a brand new location from other classic high adventure movies, but 80s slick. Mm-hmm. I think it goes without saying this movie is setting a different tone than Raiders. What a bold way to begin the second movie. Genre forward, capturing a different but familiar high adventure setting. Sure, it's not the sparse, gritty opening of Raiders. And if you think this is out of tone with Raiders of the Lost Ark, well, strap in. But I would like to point out that the rest of the movie is fairly consistent with this opening. None of this is an accident. It's what they meant to make. But, but that's, that's not, not what, what this, this movie's, movie's about. about. Harrison Ford, the biggest movie star in the world, makes a biggest movie star in the world entrance. Indiana Jones begins this tale Bond style, mid-mission, and like Bond, he's globe-hopping in Shanghai on business from an adventure we'll never see. And how does this mother scratcher enter this movie the year after Return of the Jedi in his second turn as Indiana Jones in a mother-flipping white goldfinger tuxedo? Oh my god. I think it's time we rank the entrances because I know I've said the words Harrison Ford will never make a better entrance than this before and I think that was for Heroes and I would say the one thing this entrance is lacking is him doing a donut in a 1973 Corvette. good but the thing that really seals the deal in this is that it's the exact same entrance as han solo like he's sitting down into the shot so i'd say heroes is number two raiders number three dead Heno and mary ground four no love is four because he says hi and punches jack lemon well actually that might be number one <laughs> that case could be made case made but you put han solo up there come on leading with the name he didn't do that in raiders well i think that would be unseemly <laughs> Hi, I'm Indiana Jones. (laughs) (laughs) So Jones is meeting with Lao Shea to trade the ashes of Nurhachi for the diamond of something something. The showgirl with the opening number, Willie Scott, played by Kate Capshaw, sits with Lao Shea as Indy and he negotiate. But there is betrayal around every corner in the spitfire send-up of classic adventure. Indy has been poisoned and his associate, posing as a waiter, killed. This sets off a sequence that is definitely from the director of 1941. A chaotic dance floor with Indy trying to get the antidote while Lao Shea's men attack and Willie tries to get the diamond. Indy protects Willie while finding an exit, a second floor window, turning the car below into a convertible. The car is driven by an associate and chauffeur of Indy's short round. Over here, potatoes! Played by the amazing K. Hai Kwan from the Steven Spielberg-produced Goonies. And we've been recently blessed to add and to his credits with everything, everywhere, all at once. Hey, Dr. Joe, no time for love! Shorty gets Indy and his newly added traveling companion out of the jam and to the airfield where Dan Aykroyd, for some reason, escorts them to the plane. Ah, Dr. Jones, I'm R. Webber. I spoke with your assistant. Uh, We've managed to secure three seats. But there might be a slight inconvenience as you will be riding on a cargo full of live poultry. It's a strange, accurate voice. It's not the voice I would have chosen. Jane, you ignorant slut. <laughs> Bagged out, dried up, slunk meat like you and Michelle Triola know the rules. 
If you want a contract, sign on the dotted line. Oh, but let's all shed a tear for poor Michelle Triola. There was only testimony that she had sexual intercourse over 40 times with another man while living with actor Lee Marvin. But I suppose that sort of fashionable promiscuity means nothing to someone like you, Jane, who hops from bed to bed with the frequency of a cheap ham radio. <laughs> but hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, and Michelle Triola, like a screeching, squealing, rapacious swamp sow, was after actor Lee Marvin's last $3 million. I guess what you and Michelle are saying is that when you're on your backs, the meter is running. Well, well, please spare us, gals, and tell us the rates at the top. Then we can choose which two-bit tarts and bargain basement slut to shack up with. But don't get comfortable in that airplane because danger is around every corner. Every They're corner. really flying Lao Shays Airlines. Ooh. Bad choice, but the tickets were so cheap on kayak and they avoided a layover in San Antonio. Lao Shays men abandoned ship, taking the only parachutes with them. No more parachutes! Leaving Indiana Jones where he is once again in over his head and without a plan, but also never giving up and finding a cool way of escape. Here it's kind of dumb. They jump into a deflated safety raft and inflate it on the way down, parachuting them safely to the ground. It's goofy, which feels like a first, but I'm sure it isn't. The trio float down the river until they come across a village that needs a hero. Ooh. The children of the village have been kidnapped and forced into hard labor, making Indiana Jones action figures, and the sacred Sankara stones have been stolen, causing a famine. The villains responsible for this are the Thuggy, a group of big uglies under the voodoo hypnotic control of Mola Ram. Oh, it's a very different setup than Raiders of the Lost Ark. No longer biblical with a historical villain, this installment in the Indiana Jones franchise is more of a universal horror fantasy straight out of a comic book. Man, you come right out of a comic book. How do they get the stones back? They must go to Pancut Palace. That's right, they must go to Pancake's house. Where's Pancake's house? What? We stop at Pancake's house. And off they go to Pancake's house. Here we go! Need we even mention that John Williams is killing it here? Yes, it should be said 12 times a day as a prayer. Mm-hmm. And off they ride comic book jungle adventure style atop elephants. There's semantics with Willie being unable to ride an elephant and later being harassed by the elephant. This is all straight out of the, like a 40s Humphrey Bogart movie. You know, the rugged man and the city girl along for the adventure, annoying his masculinity. It's kind of a nod to It Happened One Night, which would make Harrison Ford Clark Gable. I'll allow it. They are welcomed to dinner by the 13-year-old Maharaja's prime minister, who plays corporate damage control to both Indiana Jones and the head of British security, currently occupying India. What kids? And, and even if we had to kidnap kids, I mean, is that such a bad thing? I mean, is your record so clean? I, I, I'm not being defensive. You're being defensive. You don't think I know that? That's so funny that you don't think I know that. Why would you think I know that? Is it me or is it him? I don't know. <laughs> This is all over a lavishly production-designed dinner directed by the fabled eight-year-old Steven Spielberg that loved grossing out his sisters, as the dinner includes such meals as monkey brain surprise, Ow. and eyeball soup, Ow. and oh, 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 and there's a spider on your shoulder, booga, oh. booga, booga, booga. <laughs>
Now, this is probably a time for an Anthony Bourdain joke or that guy on the Travel Channel that eats weird foods, but those are TV shows without superheroes in them, so I'm out. Not having a taste for dog balls and pus or whatever, <laughs> Willie retires to her room only to be rescued by her hero who comes bearing fruit, offering her an apple. Who says this is less biblical than Raiders? The two of them share a kiss and then a very fun flirtation where she shuns his romantic advancement and Indy pretends to shrug it off and retires to his own room across from hers, which kicks off a wonderful sequence cutting back and forth, Indy trying to get her out of his head, and her waiting for a knock which never comes. But danger is around every corner. Every corner! He's been asking too many questions and Indiana Jones is ambushed in his room by a thuggy who's very cleverly disposed of by the resourceful archaeologist who wraps his whip around the thuggy's neck and tangles it in a ceiling fan which pulls him up and hangs him. This leads him to Willie's room and, to her consternation, Harrison Ford isn't there for kissy stuff. He's checking the room for danger and finds it. A secret entrance leading to a catacomb. Yes! We have catacomb! And more than that, we have creepy crawlies. A well of souls worth of them. Bugs everywhere. You think there might be some danger around that corner? You bet. It's a trap! Indian Short Round are locked into a classic Indiana Jones trap. Giant rolling stones and falling rock pillars cut off their escape, as the roof slowly collapses in with spikes coming out of the ceiling and floor. There are two dead people down here! There are going to be two dead people in here! Hurry! Good shouts in this movie. The only person that can save them is the person least likely to want to walk through bugs in her silk pajamas. But it seems like Willie is up for anything she can scream through. We are going to die! (laughs) (laughs) They escape the only way Indiana Jones knows how. Narrowly! And they acquired a damsel for their descent into distress. Because it seems this palace isn't up to code. Because its foundation is filled with an enormous cave and lava pits and infested with thuggy cultists engaged in human sacrifice to their god Kali. Indy, Willie, and Short Round watch as the thuggy high priest and big bad Molaram pulls a man's heart out of his chest and lowers him, still alive, into lava. Yeah, so he's the bad guy, right? Uh, yeah. Now, with the show over, I assume pulling a heart out is his Hey Jude, (laughs) the cultists disperse, leaving the Sankara stones unattended in the face of a statue of Kali on stage. Stage. It's true. (laughs) Indiana Jones. <laughs> I mean, all the people are in the audience. They're like, all right, guys, I know what y'all uh, came for. Yeah. Indiana Jones takes them, but sounds of screaming children draw him further into the complex where he sees hundreds of children being whipped and forced to dig for more Sankara stones. Indiana Jones had one foot out the door, but what stops him? Being a hero. Mm-hmm. Saving the children. Uh-huh. Not fortune. Not glory. Nope. Seeing Mola Ram's muscle whipping the kids, Indy throws a rock and hits them. Then it occurs to him that he's made himself known. Indiana Jones' basic human mistakes have gotten the best of him, and he's captured, along with Willie and Short Round. Short Round is sent to the mines as a slave and forced to dig for the stones. And Indy is made to drink the blood of Kali Ma and put into the black sleep of Kali like the many other zombified slaves of Mola Ram. It's a first for Harrison Ford. He's a villain for the moment. Once under the trance, he's ordered by Molaram to put Willie into the sacrificial cage and lowered into the lava. And now, an obedient servant with the dead gaze of the black sleep, he obeys Molaram and lowers Willie slowly to her death. 
As she lowers closer and closer to the lava, lowered by an Indiana Jones smiling sinisterly at the task, a resourceful and crafty short round escapes his manacles and eludes the guards to come to Indy and Willie's rescue. Unable to make Indy snap out of the trance, short round has no choice but to attack his friend, burning him with a torch. The pain causes Indiana to snap out of the trance, and the two take out the thuggy guards and grab the Sankara stones, but Mola Ram escapes. Remember how Raiders of the Lost Ark thrilled you for an hour and a half, and then when the truck chase began, you realized it had been holding out on you? Well, it turns out that's a tradition, because Temple of Doom says, hold my beer, and delivers a hell of a last 30 minutes, starting with one of the best heroic lines by the best damn hero. Indy, now let's get out of here. Right. All of us. And cue the third best shot in this movie. If it wasn't for that opening shot and the shot coming up, this would be the number one. But it stands out for what it represents. Indiana Jones coming to free all the children of the village in the mines. As the kids stumble, being whipped once again while pushing a minecart, the cart's light increasingly illuminates the children's emancipator, posing like a fucking boss. A punch is heard off screen and a body flies as if punched by Batman, sliding to a stop at the feet of the children. And then it all goes down, Lucasfilm style, relentless, creative, clever, and rapid. Willie and Short Round free the children while Indy punches the hell out of every thuggy he sees, until he meets his match, Molaram's Muscle Man, the equivalent in size of the Nazi mechanic in Raiders, and with good reason, it's the same actor, Pat Roach. The fight takes full advantage of the mining equipment and with the machines and the conveyors moving up and down as they all go at it. Indy is at a huge disadvantage to begin with, but doubly so when the Maharaja under the Black Seep of Kali himself starts stabbing the, a voodoo doll of Indy, causing him to falter and flail on the conveyor belt, dragging him to his death in a rock crusher. Until, short round goes Indy himself, getting a few punches in and waking the Maharaja from the Black Sleep just in time for Indy to flatten the muscle man for easy storage. Our heroic trio jump in a minecart to escape the remaining army of thuggies, but are pursued by several thuggies who give chase in their own carts. The minecarts roll through twisting and turning orange glowing caves over valleys of lava. It's like, and this bears repeating, Mm -hmm. it's like nothing that's ever been seen in a movie before or since. There's, and I said it bears repeating, so it's like nothing that's ever been in a movie before or since. Through a series of once again cleverly designed fights in a unique venue, they dispatch the thuggies. But Mola Ram has a plan to finish them off by toppling the water tower, flooding the tunnels. Look, water! Look water! 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 They escape the water and avoid being washed into the river hundreds of feet below and make their way across a hundred-yard suspended rope and wood bridge. But Molaram heads them off and traps Indy in the center of the bridge between two legions of his soldiers above a river full of crocodiles. Oh, shit. But Indy's not James Bond. He's not Captain America. He's just a guy who figures it out and does what he needs to do to win the day. And he's nuts. You know nuts. He's crazy. In the crescendo of the largest set piece of the movie, Indiana Jones, standing in the middle of the suspension bridge, raises a machete above his head like a boss and cuts the rope, dispatching all of Molaram's soldiers at once, sending them plummeting into the river full of crocodiles whose friends are never going to believe this story. Luckily, Indiana was smart enough to wrap his legs in the rope of the bridge and hold on, but so did Molaram, who battles it out one-on-one, hanging off of a cliff. 
They struggle for the stones until Indiana Jones recites an incantation that activates the stones who start burning through the bag and ultimately Mola Ram's hand, causing him to lose his grip and fall to his death. The remaining thuggy are subdued by the British army as Indy, Willie, and Short Round triumphantly return to the village with their sacred stone and their children, beyond a huge hero. Willie tells Indy she's going back to Missouri and walks away, only to have a whip wrap around her waist, pulling her back to Indiana Jones for a kiss that belongs in a movie classic from Hollywood's Golden Age. It must have taken everything for Spielberg to not put up the classic Hollywood swoopy The End after this shot. But maybe he didn't want to steal Hanover Street's thunder. Hey, there's the script, everybody! Temple of Doom, everyone. Temple of Doom. 1984's own came up May 23rd. You know, that's Harrison Ford just dominating Memorial Day weekend for year after year from pretty much Star Wars, that side of a little bit on Empire Raiders and more to come. More Memorial Days will be conquered by Harrison Ford. He is not done. Oh, yeah. Well, it's becoming a tradition at the age I was at when I saw this movie. I mean, that's the amazing thing is where we're at right now. And you can feel it now that we've gone through all the Harrison Ford movies. It really is like revisiting all these things for the first time, just watching so closely and everything. But at the time, man, I mean, Harrison Ford is just delivering every single summer pure joy. It's going to be there every summer for like the rest of our lives. I have great nostalgia for those days where you just kind of said, what movie is blank going to put out this year? Now we look at like what yeah. franchise is going to put out a movie this year, but at least be what Schwarzenegger movie are we getting? What Harrison Ford movie? What Tom Cruise movie? What Julia Roberts movie? What Sandra Bullock movie? What Tom Hanks movie? What Mel Gibson movie? What Eddie Murphy movie? You know, it just seemed like they always had something and it was star driven. And I kind of liked that. The films would always have variety. Usually, you know, obviously this is a sequel, but there'd be a lot of variety in that actor's career. Well, I think some people call that the agency era. The agencies got much more powerful in the 80s and 90s. But I read all that in Premier Magazine. So I call that Premier Magazine era. Premier Magazine was where you could depend on like, ooh, what's the Julia Roberts movie this year? You know, last year's knocked it out of the park. What's it going to be this year? Yeah. And their covers reflected that. As I'm talking about that, I'm picturing Cruz on the cover for Cocktail, Mel Gibson on the cover for Tequila Sunrise, you know, Costner on the cover for Bull Durham. You know, these stars just went, had their summer of year premiere showcased and was great. Yeah, Ford had a bunch of them as well. Yeah, we need to have a premiere magazine segment and try and guess what the cover was. There's like certain ones that I can just totally picture, you know. Give you a date or something and tell me. Yeah. I tell you who's on it, what movie or something. Yeah. If you don't know, Adam's referencing that I have every premiere magazine that ever came out. They're in my garage in two boxes. So oh. 1987 to whenever the hell they were done, I got them all. So that's a segment or a whole nother show, perhaps. We'll <laughs> so anyway, we just watched Temple of Doom. We didn't always do that. When we started this podcast, we would watch the movie because these were a bunch of films we had never heard of. And then we got into movies we've heard of and seen a thousand times like Raiders and Return of the Jedi. So we didn't watch them although we watched Raiders six months or so beforehand in the theater but as we were discussing Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom more and more I wanted to see it again and I know you did too Adam so we did we're hot off of it and I have some immediate thoughts on just having seen it for the first time in a long time I think the last time was maybe six to ten years ago at the New Beverly Cinema oh uh, right what was that a double feature with Last Crusade Interesting way to double feature that up. Just put the two sequels together. This, it was so good to see because 
first of all, there was a ton of nostalgia, <laughs> which was yeah. great. The nostalgia felt bigger this time. And I think it's because of this exercise we're doing, re-falling in love, re-worshipping Harrison and where he is now and just getting more and more excited for him. This was like watching Temple of Doom again for the first time. And again, of course, there's these movies we've watched a hundred times. This one's one of them where, you know, it's been put on the background a bunch of stuff like that. But when I sit down and I watch him sit down in that white suit, I'm just like, oh my God, this is so good. And that opening is so good. I just appreciate so much more of this. And I feel like I went through an era as like a cineast, you know, in college where I became more critical of this movie or, you know, became started to see all of its flaws and all that sort of stuff. And I'm like, no flaws this time. I am watching like an absolute <laughs> 10 year old, no flaws. Let's go. And enjoying every beat of it and going, oh, this is why it's a perfect movie. It was just really sold. It was awesome. Well, you had to be happy about that. This movie is one of your theories crystallized in a film because oh, you always say that watch a movie it gets crapped on over time you all go oh that was a great movie after all phantom menace turns out it was a really good movie oh, right just had these two things, in the right? fullness of time every that, movie's good that's this in a nutshell even with me yeah. like i watched it i'm 14 i loved it i'll get into how i many times i saw it in the theater and then i kind of grew older and i went and eh, maybe it's silly compared to the other ones da, da, da. and now i'm coming around again kind of like saying what you did but looking and reading and researching what the critics did for this it's kind of the same they were like immediately oh it's silly and nonsense and all this stuff and it's over the top and gory and it doesn't have a tonal thing for families like you know like seems like it wants to over time that's all tempered and now it's just yeah boy it's just some fun but is this a fun movie or what is this like a crazy ride and that's kind of where we are now with it and i think we've all arrived at that duty your thing where it's just one time it gets a, this review time passes more appreciation sets in in the fullness of time all movies are good because they become nostalgia or you revisit them or you watch them from a different way in a different way in a different place in a different place and i gotta tell you if this had never had the reputation of like oh yeah like you said oh a little dark oh there's a kid sidekick oh uh, willie screaming all the time blah, blah blah any sort of thing that annoys you if the reputation of this movie was Oh, this is the one where Spielberg just really nails it. And you can really see Spielberg like just the director of E.T. now making an Indiana Jones movie, the director of, you know, all these other things. Like this is the one that Spielberg really nails as a completely like different experience, but like completely full in everything it's attempting. And a fast paced story, too. I was surprised. I always thought this was a slower one. Oh, really? Wow. It's a string of action sequences. They slow yeah. down rarely and still they slow down when they talk to the first indian man they meet after right. the bail out of the the airplane and they slow down in the palace to get the the background on right. the thuggy but the whole time they're doing jokes with the food so you don't feel like you slowed down right and then it's off to the races so that's that's the thing so we lavish so much praise on the opening to raiders of the lost ark as like he goes into that room with those two top men and two minutes later, we know everything we're going to watch for the rest of this movie. And it's really this like astounding way of getting the exposition out, getting you on the front page. That takes 20 minutes in this movie. But what I didn't recognize, and as I was recognizing like, oh, this is taking a little more time. They're feeding us a little more. First of all, they're prodding Indiana Jones to act. You know, he's on his way to Delhi. He's like, I'm not going to Pankot Palace. Sorry, guys. You know, and each new thing that gets added and added in. Okay, let me back up before that. When they get to this village, and let's just start it off here, okay? Spielberg has a shot that we love when Spielberg does, which is the dolly into the close-up, right? And you'll see that all <laughs> yeah. over the place. Sometimes it's a dolly zoom like in Jaws, classically at the end of like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It's a classic Spielberg shot. 
he might never nail it the way he nails it in this one. It's a masterpiece. <laughs> just Molaram, just looking. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. yeah. He's not even he doing anything. Really it's all happening elsewhere, but he's looking at it. And they give so me that good. slow that slow burn to the camera. Yeah, Willie gets one. Short Round gets one. Everybody <laughs> gets one of those. You know, it's awesome. Yeah. I never said, let's watch this for the first time now. You know, I can put my mind there. I'm watching this for the first time. First of all, they think Indiana came from heaven to save them, which he did drop from the sky, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? And so you're like, you're here. You're here. Shiva sent you here. You're here. I know why you're here. And Indiana's like, no, 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 we're not. no, 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 no. I know why you're here. Let me explain. <laughs> he walks into that village. I never caught the production design of that village of just decimated. It looks yeah. burnt and withered and just, and you're just like, oh my God, the despair of these people that have been ravaged and each thing they pile on that has happened to them. Well, first the wells went dry, then the crops died, then all the trees burnt, and then they kidnapped the kids. And you're like, who is responsible for this? And then they <laughs> unveil that. But each new thing, oh, and then the shot, all the Indian village people's hands on him, mm -hmm. like a god, you know, like yeah. their savior. With a little um, bit of the... Uh, yeah, the mystery of this, of like why we're here, it really works. Really works. It is not slow. It works. Then they can kind of continue that in the palace, but I've got an interesting take on that too. Well, yeah, I'll just say the, to recap my last thought on the rewatch. Well, that won't be my last thought, but the, the main one I had at the top was the movie gets a lot of slack for Willie's over the top. She screams all the time. The kid is young and annoying and we didn't need a kid because we didn't have one the first time. But even if you agree with all that that's going on, boy, did I appreciate Indiana Jones. I watched it like in the middle of all this, Indiana Jones is just the best. <laughs> He's the best. He's the funniest. This is the funniest Ford's ever been. Perhaps, oh, okay. You know? I mean, every take, you know, whether he's like, from the snake or whether he's like the door shutting on him and he just kind of has to put his hands against the wall or he's just he's going to kill somebody and then when the door opens up again and when he's the standing there looking up. at her like all those takes one after the other and those sequences are just leveling me so yeah i need to address it because this is another one of your theories i'm curious to see if regardless of what is going on around him in crystal skull mm -hmm. i enjoy indiana jones so now I'm prepared to watch it from Good. that perspective. Right. Yes. A movie, movie I've never liked. Maybe I'll just be like, you know, there's all kinds of chaos going on here, but damn, do I like Indiana Jones? <laughs> you know? I, so I'm hoping that's the case. Yeah. I mean, that certainly was my in. When I saw it in the theater, I was too excited to hate it. It's an Indiana Jones movie. We're here. We're doing, oh my God, I'm with some friends. You know, it's like, I can't believe they were ever going to make another one of these. There's always that feeling. You know, you see Phantom Menace, you're like, they were never going to make another Star Wars. I'm going to appreciate the hell out of this. But the last time I saw Crystal Skull, I was just like, just watch Indy and you're good. But there's a lot of other good stuff in it. So when was that first time you saw it? First time I saw Temple of Doom? Temple of Doom. Yeah. yeah, this would be opening weekend. My dad took me to a movie every Sunday. I have the image of this in my head so crystal clear because I was so excited. Because when Star Wars came out, you didn't know what had happened to you. When Empire Strikes Back came out, that's the first time I knew that sequels existed. By the time of Return of the Jedi, I had now seen Rares of the Lost Ark, and I was completely in love with Harrison Ford, and I knew there was going to be a third Star Wars movie for two years, you know, and so now here we are doing that with Indiana Jones, who I liked even better than Han Solo, so waiting outside, so we went to the bookstore, and my dad got me a comic book, I believe it was Secret Wars number two, 
And my favorite comic book of all time. I'm sitting there reading my favorite comic book of all time. We're sitting outside the Salem Mall. And the marquee for all the movies is right, like, we're in the, like, second space. So so as I'm flipping through my comic book, we got there early. So we had to sit in the van for a little while. Dad's listening to the radio. And he bought a book, too. He's sitting there reading. I'm reading my comic book. And I just keep looking over at that marquee and seeing Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And I'm like, I can't believe what I'm about to see. And I would read a little comic book or whatever. And. I'd look back over at that marquee and I'm like, is it time? You know, it was only maybe a 20 minute wait or something. We got there a little bit early, but it's like, oh man, I, I just, I just, I can, I can feel the heat that day. I mean, my dad's orange van, big O. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I can remember that quite well. And then just, man, when this movie starts to wash over you. And also the other thing is we're appreciating this as older men and we're kind of putting our kid brain on to truly appreciate it and experience it again for the first time. But as a kid, we're from anything goes to a white tuxedo to this to that and into the car in a plane and I don't know a mountain and I'm mysterious. I mean, you're just like on such a roller yeah. coaster. I went to see it. I had the Oneonta Theater to contend with in Oneonta, New York. And so it played there and I saw it the opening night. And I've said this before. And the next five nights, I saw it six <sighs> nights in a row. I just walked I down and three dollars. So a whopping eighteen dollar investment to see the movie <laughs> six <sighs> nights in a row. At the Oneonta Theater. And I'm sure I saw it more in its re-releases and all that well. But it's the six nights. Because I knew I saw Return of the Jedi six times in the theater. But I saw oh, okay. Temple of Doom six times in a row. <laughs> so oh. Uh, oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah. Oh, I'm so jealous. Because I think uh, what happened at, at that time, I'm pretty sure, because I remember the summer that Secret Wars came out, I went to Florida to visit my grandparents. My grandpa had retired. So every summer for a couple summers there, it was Florida time. So I have the strangest feeling. I only got to see this once in the theater and then we were off to Florida and it was fishing and swimming. And it's like, there was no time for movies until like 87 when I was old enough where like I could start going. And then I saw every movie in Florida that summer. <laughs> so we weren't alone. It had a budget of 28.1 million and that's 8 million more than Raiders. But it came in on time and on budget, and it earned $33.9 in the extended Memorial Day weekend. That's the highest opening weekend of 84, and there's a lot of competition. That includes Beverly Hills Cop. That includes Ghostbusters, uh -huh. Karate Kid, all these other films, Star Trek Three, I believe. But this was number one for the year in the terms of it was. I don't believe it was the biggest movie of the year, but it was the biggest opening weekend. And went on to now a total of $333 million worldwide. You know, a lot of that's three dollars at a time. So yeah, <laughs> a lot of people saw this movie. <laughs> the tagline that got people in: "If adventure has a name, it must be Indiana Jones," which was always a great tagline. That's a great tagline. <laughs> that was not the tagline of the first one. That they saved that to this one. No, it was it was worded differently. It was a new adventure from the creators of Jaws and Star Wars. Oh, right. That was right, to right. get you in, and once you're in there, you're in for this. They just need to say Indiana Jones. And as far as then production goes and putting the whole thing together, well, the first thing they did, you know, you remember the first movie was inspired by serials from back in the day. So yeah. naturally you're thinking if you went to an Indian thuggy temple and dealt with a cult, what would Don Winslow do? Winslow, Winslow, Don Winslow, Don Winslow of the Navy. <laughs> if you don't know what the hell it was, go back to the Raiders of a Lost Ark Ford Fiesta yeah. where it's listed in Wikipedia that one of the serials that inspired George Lucas was Don Winslow of the Navy, which I don't see how 
I mean, there's a boat in both movies. But Paul, that. put this on the list for a day when, you know, we aren't recording something for this space or whatever. We want to do something Harrison Ford related. We should watch an episode of Don Winslow oh, uh, do a live it. commentary for Don Winslow. <laughs> <laughs> that long festering Patreon. We'll put it up there. <laughs> oh, I enjoyed learning this fact today. So actually, for the real story, they uh, put a darker tone on this one. You know, Lucas did that thing where he said, we're going to have three stories for Indiana Jones. When he set out to make the first one, he had no ideas. Of course, he had the first one only. But then they said, well, mm -hmm. look, we don't want to we want to avoid Nazis. So they made it a prequel. <laughs> I love this fact. They attributed the dark tone to their breakups. They both just oh, broke up. Amy Irving and Marsha, I suppose. Marsha Lucas, Marcia yeah. Lucas. And so it made me realize that, well, yeah, of course they made a movie where a guy's heart is literally ripped out of his chest. Oh, I wow. Guys. <laughs> Didn't catch that symbolism. And boy, that's that's really getting hit up the head with a brick and not catching that it was thrown. <laughs> they eventually uh, talked to Kasdan and he's out. Yeah, he thought it was too dark. So he was not on board. And they went to Willard Hike and Gloria Katz, who we mentioned in the top of the show um, from oh, American right. Graffiti. They came in and worked on the script. Some some very clever stuff in the script. Some clever lines, too. Yeah. And things... Indiana Jones you, is funny. Very funny. And things that were previously imagined for Raiders that didn't happen, including the Chinese showroom fight at the top, hitting a gong and hiding behind a gong while there's someone shooting at him. That was all imagined for a previous film, but that, that took them way off course from where I think Nepal's the closest they got to China, but they didn't. It said it's too far away and off the course if we go up there in the first movie. And even the abandoned plane and them jumping from it. Some of the filmmakers found all that too unrealistic, so they didn't put it in the first movie. <laughs> gotcha. So it finds its way here in a movie that announces itself with the title Anything Goes, right? So it's like, you've been warned. And Indiana Jones even says that when he's got Willie as a hostage, which is how they yeah. first interact, so he can get the antidote from Lau, and he goes, anything goes right there. You know? Yeah. I understand this feels very different from Raiders of the Lost Ark, but do I have the right to say that's wrong? This movie announces itself with a woman coming out of a dragon's mouth and does a, a Chinese version of anything goes, cut to an entire Busby Berkeley number. I mean, honestly, at that point, you're just like, what the hell? If the idea, much like a boot camp, is to try and break down who you are and then build you up to like this movie, they've broken you down at that point. They're like, oh, okay, I guess I'm along for the ride. If I think that this is going to be anything like Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's on me. I'm wrong. <laughs> you didn't even try at the beginning to announce in any way that this was like Raiders of the Lost Ark. What you said to the audience is, here's this. And then Indiana Jones is going to sit down in a white suit in the middle of it. And this is your new Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, there's going to be a tap dance number that clearly doesn't happen in the room where the movie's taking place. Yeah. So this is just for you guys watching the movie. It's not even for a story. But there is something that happens early in the film that I noticed this time that welcomes you back to a comfortable place that you love watching these movies. And it's the sound of John Williams. So uh, early on, you get a fanfare from John Williams. They kind of, you don't hear the rest of the movie, but he just like punches at the top just to say, sit back, relax. We got you. It's us, your old friends. You know, you love us. Star Wars, Jaws, E.T., you know, you love Raiders, you love us. And so here's that sound. And That's then it goes, the front. Ah, right, right. And it goes into anything. Of course. But before that, the French horns are going to give you that John Williams love touch, and you know, right where you are.
it's great. John Williams just kills it in this movie too. And nothing drives me nuts more than someone not using the heroic theme. No, no, no. You hit that Superman theme. You hit that Indiana Jones theme. Every time something heroic happens in this, bum, 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 which is the only music carried over from Raiders. Everything else is brand new. That's a slave children theme. Yeah. Right. And I noticed in the end credits, he combines it with the Raiders March, which is tons of fun. So give me, give me the Raiders March. Bum. Go ahead. Like he combines it. Yeah, yeah. Listen to it again. Listen to the end credits. It's like music the same it. tempo. Yeah. Taking the old stuff, taking the new, reminding you, you know, that it's all the story of the same legend. Well, and I mean, of course, John Williams does not have to be said is like the greatest composer of all time, obviously. But how good he is cannot be made a fine enough a point of. The thing I noticed this time is when the struggling kid, you know, walks up to the village, he's about to die and he gives Indy the little clue. When that kid like wanders up, you hear that very faintly. Dun, 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 dun. And then it just goes dark because it's <laughs> really dark. The kid's like dying, but it's like, it's right there. And you're like, ah, that's the children's theme. And later that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, you know? So good. Then we're into it. So let's talk about the making of it, though, because Mark Ellis was on here talking about Return of the Jedi, and he mentioned how jacked Harrison Ford was for this movie. And boy, I got to look at it this time, and it is, I didn't realize how huge his arms are and how, like, when he's shirtless and drinking after he drank the blood and stuff, he's got like these giant shoulders. And it reminds me oh, that, yeah. oh, yes, Jake Steinfeld was like the, you remember Jake Steinfeld, Body by Jake? Body by Jake. The, Traitor to deal. the stars. And he's yeah. the guy who always whipped Harrison Ford into shape. Oh. And I remember Harrison Ford just saying, you know, you know, I'm, I'm just a guy who has to get into shape when he gets cast into a new movie. And this is maybe the second time he's been shirtless in a movie. I think the first time would be uh, Hanover Street, right? Well, it was but, a brief uh, se section on the ship in Raiders. That's it. You know, but. Oh, that's true. That's true. But I mean, this is a major shirtless performance. Once he drinks the blood of Kali, he's shirtless Harrison Ford. Yeah, evil Harrison Ford is shirtless Harrison Ford, so that's sexy. Yeah. <laughs> but it wouldn't be a Harrison Ford movie if it didn't get hurt. So you love that scene where a thuggy guard attacks him in Pencott Palace in his room, and they have the ends up being whipped and spinning around on the ceiling fan. That was yeah. great. But Ford suffered a spinal disc herniation and took five weeks to recover. Oh my God, so. really? <laughs> yeah. And Douglas Slocum was ill for two weeks and still finished on schedule and on budget. So I just like to hear eight. that Harrison Ford's human after all. I dislocated a disc about 10 years ago and I was like, really? Did I really do this at 40? This young in my life and I'm now, I've got this injury for the rest of my, at starting at 40? I, how old is that Harrison Ford here? And he's already got a herniated disc. Of course, he's doing cooler shit than I am, but you know. So that would make him 80, 50, 42? He'd be 42. There you go. Oh, so. All right. <laughs> I received my dislocated disc the same time as Indiana Jones. Hey, guys, it's been a good day. We're all human, I think, is the. Uh, you here. and Harrison Ford, same. Same Z's. I love that the thuggy comes out of the painted backdrop of the room. Yeah. Like that, it's a whole row of thuggy, and then one of them just comes like that. Just like there's so much cool little stuff, like thuggy camouflage. You know, <laughs> that's why they dress like that. I just can't tell which one's which. Well, Spielberg said the danger in making a sequel is that you can never satisfy everyone. If you give people the same movie with different scenes, Bart guys, 
they say, why weren't you more original? But if you give them the same character in another fantastic adventure, but with a different tone, you risk disappointing the other half of the audience who just wanted a carbon copy of the first film with a different girl and a different bad guy. So you win and you lose both ways. It's good to hear that he knows that as legend as he is. So, but that is, that's true. As Barkaya said, what we want in sequels, and it's true. I want the same, but different. (laughs) <laughs> oh bart caius will be our guest on the witness episode yeah our old partner yeah. in crime from the old movie guys days so that'll be fun well here are your cut story bits this is always fun all right indy in a motorcycle chase on the great wall of china that would have been cool whoa i don't know if that maybe would have been an extended chase scene out of shanghai after lao she or something but uh, a hidden valley inhabited by dinosaurs kind of glad that was cut oh <laughs> Because they wouldn't have done them well in 84. They needed that extra nine years before <laughs> they could do Jurassic. I just technology. like that that obsession is still there, you know? Yeah. Well, they had the Monkey King as a part of the plot once. And people who became superhuman zombies after drinking the, the blood. In a haunted castle in Scotland. And the title was the Temple of Death, which changed to Temple of Doom after a while. So. Oh, okay. Oh, I mentioned the gross-out dinner where the thuggy were explained. That was originally supposed to be a tiger hunt. Spielberg was like, I am not staying in India to shoot a tiger hunt any longer than I have to. They're covered in bugs. It's hot as hell. 80% of the film was shot in sound stages. And that's it's credit yeah. to Slocum. And, and a lot of the critics say that's credit to Slocum's photography, which you kind of don't know sometimes. Sometimes you can tell. Sometimes you don't know. Eight of Elstree Studios' nine studios were used to make this, so... Wow. Big ass production and cost 28. I mean, that's the other thing. It's so lavish. It's such a lavish production. It's so different from Raiders, which was shot outside. This enters a big phase of Spielberg shooting inside as well. I remember Hook was such a thing that they built that entire ship, you know, and they just thought that Spielberg had gone nuts with shooting indoors. But obviously, it starts here. We see Raiders is shot entirely outdoors. This is shot almost entirely indoors with the exception of you know the bridge and some of that stuff. But man, it's just so lavish. The other thing I caught about the dinner this time was that Indiana Jones is playing detective at that point. And he's just like, hey, so did you guys steal the kids? <laughs> of course, of course we didn't. You know, oh, okay. It was a, but people talk about the thuggies, the thuggies. They, they, you don't even heard anything about the thuggies. Oh, please. Oh, what, a, what a crazy, what a crazy dumb. Thing. Check this guy out. You know, and he's like, okay, okay. So there's no thuggies and, and not the kids. I mean, basically, this is what's happening intercut with the, you know, the gross out dinner or whatever. And then finally, Chatter Lau like gets like, do we have a problem? Like this kind of like, no, we're not doing any of that. We've never done any of that. What's your problem? And then Indiana Jones has this great, it's very subtle. There's a lot of subtle stuff in this movie. Indiana Jones goes, oh, I'm sorry. I was just asking a question. Like, like, sort of like, <laughs> you've kind of showed your hand, Chatter Loud. There is something going on here. But he's like, oh, I was just having a trying to have a conversation. But, and then th- this is in parentheses, not said. It's like, but you seem to be very upset by all this, <laughs> you <Yes>. know? <laughs> and Chatter Loud says, going to make a note to have you killed in your room. Okay. Right, so. right. Yeah. Okay. Back to your room. We'll just... <laughs> Kill Send that it. guy. <laughs> you can tell that's the end of the first serial segment. You know, tune in next week. How's he going to get out of this one? You know, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, this movie moves at such a pace. It rips through so much story and content. It gets done in two hours. What all these TV shows now are doing in like six to 12 hours. We were just talking yesterday about some TV shows that sort of 
maybe take the time they have to tell their story a little too seriously. <laughs> they should move it along a little faster. Uh, yeah. Man, they cover a lot of ground in this movie in an hour and 58 minutes. So, and I think they added three minutes after an early cut and was like, this is moving too fast. Can we slow it down just a hair? So they did. You can imagine beforehand if it moved even faster. Wow. So, yeah, It's but, so uh, cool that as soon as he says my favorite, my favorite moment where after, I mean, Indiana Jones is only a zombie for like two minutes, you know, like I, I always as a kid, I always thought, oh, man, he's under that for a long time. They got to get him out of that. That lasted a long time. But in, in this like, all right. So then, you know, he puts Willie in the thing and then short round. Let's talk about short round as well. But after short round wakes him out of that and he goes, let's go. And he goes, yeah, all of us cut to my favorite shot here it is 40 minutes of action it is like <laughs> the rest of that movie is just it's action 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 reunite the village done <laughs> yeah that's it man long way to delhi so good so they shot in sri lanka speaking of the village and all those outdoor locations because india was offended by the plot that there could be something like the thuggies going on i guess it kind of feels <laughs> like now that i say it a lot like they're a little like chatter lol who are like yeah There's right what no no <laughs> We're, we're offended, but there's just so you know, there's nothing going. On. Yeah, but it didn't even open in India in theaters when it came out, but it did come out on video. So, and then there were pickup shots in Tulumne and American Rivers. That's here in California, San Joaquin Valley. I think that's where Skywalker Ranch is. But then they did some pickup shots in Mammoth Mountain and Yosemite National Park. Both places I've been to twice, and I didn't know there were pickup shots. And I looked in the film. I'm trying to figure out where those shots might be, and it's I got to be know. the rapids. It's got to be, gotta the, be rapids. the rapids, probably for the American River. But yeah, for but Yosemite, where, where were they shooting in Yosemite? So I would like to, next time I go to Yosemite, find whatever it was. I got to dig deeper and find those locations. Let's talk about some other could have been's. Could have been Willie Scott, Sharon Stone. <gasps> for one. Oh, that's a good choice. Yeah, it'd be interesting. She'd be tougher, I think, than Willie ended up being. Uh, and Kate Capshaw dyed her hair blonde to separate herself from Marion. Also play the showgirl. I didn't have at the time when I saw this as a kid an appreciation for the concept premise, which is he gets saddled with the showgirl who has to then go on this adventure, which is really super different than Marion. It's really cool. Yeah. Well, we talked about it being African queen pretty much, right? The yeah. tough traveler guy and then the more yeah. cosmopolitan lady. Yeah, of course. Spielberg loves making there. a nod like that, you know. And apparently that dress was a one of a kind Real beats from the 20s and 30s, a showgirl dress that she ended up wearing. They made three of them. One got half eaten by an elephant. The stories, you know, from the set are just crazy. Has she gotten better as you watch this as an adult? I think she's so great in this movie. She handles, I guess, what she has to do pretty well, the comedy. Yeah. You know? I mean, the I, whole... I like tough as nails Marion better, but. Yeah, that's the thing. Short Round beats all kinds of people up, which is awesome. But they never try and have her beating people up. And I don't know if I'd buy it that much if they did. That You know, she's along for the ride. <laughs> Different take on the female opposite indie for sure. And again, probably yeah. on purpose. Let's change this all up. No Nazis, you know, right. no desert. We're going in the jungle. And, and 6,000 other actors, Kihai Kwan beat out to play short round. Wow. Which seems like an amazing call for a casting director's office to have to handle. Amish Puri played Mola Ram. How do we not know who this guy is? Apparently he's a big Indian actor, but I don't watch a lot of Indian cinema. How legendary is Mola Ram? We should know him as well as we know Paul Freeman, like I said, or some of the other, that David Prowse or Peter Cushing, you know, all the bad guys in these big movies of the 80s. But he was awesome. Mola Ram was oh, Mola dark and awesome. crazy. 
303 credits, Paul. Yeah. It looks nothing like Mola Rum. That's the thing. You look at him, he's got like a hat, looks like a charming guy. You, know, you forget, like, oh, yeah. Right. I got bet you all the extras in that village, too, who are like, you know, crying about their kids, probably just, you know, live there and <laughs> live nearby yeah, and just... regular people. You know, they put up here, put on this loathing from the 1920s or whatever. Uh, and then they look authentic. I do want to mention one more thing about Short Round. Because I just posted something on the movie, guys, that Black Adam has an annoying kid problem. And I thought this was a trope that's sort of done with movies a while ago. But it's back. DC loves to do that kind of stuff, bring back bad tropes. And so uh, the kid worships Black Adam, thinks he should have a catchphrase and all this annoying stuff. Marvel does it better. They make the kid who worships superheroes become Ironheart. And I watched Short Round again today, and he's not just an annoying and causing all kinds of trouble. No. That, that's the thing about Dwayne Johnson. I thought he had a track record for this because in The Scorpion King, there's a little kid, some street urchin who likes The Scorpion King. Next thing you know, Scorpion King's trying to do stuff, and he's got to save the kid because the kid gets in trouble and ruins everything. You know, the adults have stuff to do, and the kids ruin it. That's not the case here. Short Round is whooping ass, figuring things out, trying to save Indy. You know, if you don't like that he cracks wise and is a kid that's on you but he's not a detriment to the plot which is a bonus for a child in a movie in an action he's a child he's a child directed by steven spielberg that can't ever really go wrong first of all <laughs> and if you think it has gone wrong watch the bfg again my friend but this kid is obviously legendary obviously so good but everything he does in here it just adds such a different dimension to indiana jones and it's perfect it's perfect. And he's always jumping in to try and take a punch for Indiana Jones or punch somebody for Indiana Jones. The kid is such a scamp. And I love how he annoys the thuggies. He's not ever behind the eight ball, but all the cute stuff and just the idea that they've had many adventures together. You know, we're, we're getting by reference, all this old Indiana Jones stuff. I mean, even I never really caught in the opening, you know, when he, the, the guy's got a bandage on his hand is like, Indiana's like, oh, somebody tried to come and steal it last night, but I left him alive. You know, like, Oh my God, that <laughs> happened last night. Before the movie even started. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause an annoying kid would get in trouble then. And he's got to save him. And then while he's trying to do other stuff, you know, he leaves him behind to go get the stones. Here's the kids being whipped and he goes off to save him. You know, he's, he's got his own stuff to do. The kids don't get in the way of that. So that's all good. And of course, we have the return of Pat Roach, the massive thuggy guard uh, who probably would have been canceled today because I do believe he painted his skin darker to play this character. Oh, I uh, believe he he's did. the same guy who was the uh, mechanic who fought India at the plane in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. We needed a big yeah. bastard. He's the guy. He did Bond movies and everything. The guy was quite a muscle head for a while. Here's a fun fact. Alligators doubled as the crocodiles. Uh, <laughs> you know what happened today? The internet would go nuts. Ooh, crap movie. If you've wanted to be a total prick about this sort of stuff, you're like, um, when the airplane runs out of gas, she asks him if he can fly. And uh, I believe he says he can fly in Last Crusade. So you know how to fly, don't you? Why? Yes. Land? No. See? Uh, two different movies. <laughs> Already in that little clip, I heard the sound of the plane, and that, of course, is Ben Burt, I think, in Last Crusade as well. But for Temple of Doom, the usual suspects showed up. Dennis Murin, Joe Johnston, Ben Burt, they're all on board. And sure enough, it was nominated for Best Visual Effects, and Murin and Joe Johnston won Oscars for that. It was nominated for Best Original Score because you can't not when John Williams is involved, but he did not win. 
what did uh, what beat him out? Places in the heart, probably, or something. Passage to India, Maurice Yar. Ah, well, he's good. He's good. He's good. He I think good. John Williams would go. Yeah, all right. Let Maurice Yar have it. <laughs> <laughs> Who won Morricone? That bastard. Well, you deserve it. I mean, you can't hum any of Maurice Yar. Well, I guess you can. All right. Well, let's get to what we love. Star of the show, Harrison Ford. That's what this is all about, right? Sure is, baby. Because in this new watch, I also wrote down the number of points he has. Well, I didn't pull clips, so the most I can do is try to recreate them for you. That was so, a long way of saying this. Major move! <laughs> well, there are five definitive points in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. In that whole fight scene in the Chinese showroom, Willie picks up the antidote, puts it in her dress. Indy sees this and he goes, stay there! So he points right. at her. Stay there! Good point. So Good one. point. We have one. That's a point in the shout also it is yeah they kind of all are there's one in the cave where it's not he kind of says tell short round just stay against the wall over there you know right 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 that's a weak point we're not even going to count that yeah but the best ones are when the ceiling's coming down on him the spikes are coming down on him and willie's on the other side with the torch and they're trying to tell her what to do so she reaches into this hole and his hand comes out and grabs her right (laughs) And she uh-huh. goes, ah, and he's like, no, 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 not, not this over there. He's like pointing <laughs> not your other right. It's, like I, it's the point. disembodied point and shout, which yes. is the other one. Yeah. It's, it's like... <laughs> and then uh, when Indy is under the spell of the blood, he snaps out of it. And then they're going to beat up the short round. And he says, wait, he's mine. And so he points at the guys that, and says that. The best one is one that they freeze frame. And it's a great line in the movie, too, when Short Round's fighting the Maharaja. And he goes, quit fooling around with that kid and get down to the cart now. He's, like, pointing. Like this. <laughs> quit fooling around with that kid. Quit fooling around just with that saved kid. saved his ass from the uh, voodoo doll. But I yeah. just love that. So this is half a dozen great points as ever in this movie. It wouldn't be the same if there weren't. And the and, shout and, and, count is off the chart. Now, yes. we, we had said in the previous Empire Strikes Back that that might be the best shouting he ever does. The most shouting he ever does is Frisco Kid. Get the gun! Get the gun! Get over there! Get the gun! Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but yeah, my favorite in this <laughs> is, so we go back to that sequence where we have Willie outside the cave where the spikes are coming down and short round inside it. And she's going, let me in, let me in. And he's going, let us out, let us out, let me in, let me in, let us out, let us out. Yeah. They cut the in, he just goes, shut up! <laughs> <laughs> Which I enjoyed so much. He's like, try, he's working. They're like bitching. He's trying to put a skull in there to stop the wall from the ceiling from coming down. Let me in, let me in. Let us out, let us out. Shut up. <laughs> That's a good one. So, Short it, round. It's just, it, it's like Andy to just stay on point, you know? He's the man. Yeah. Stay on point and shout. Yeah, I'll just go with my favorite shout is, uh, this is serious. <laughs> That's <a good> one. <laughs> just in that scene right there, do it now. Hurry. Hurry. You know, he shouts 9, 10, 14 times in that scene alone. So I think the most shouts Harrison Ford ever did might be in Temple of Doom. It also might be the most punches he ever did. Oh, you want to get to the punch count? Well, hold on. Let's get to the second most, I believe, second most shouts he ever did, which is Frisco Kid. One, the gun. Get the two, gun. three, four. 
Shoot him! Eight. He's gonna kill us! Shoot him! Nine. Ten. <laughs> Shoot him, Abram! Eleven. Yes. He's going for the other gun! Twelve. Shoot him for Christ's sake! Shoot him! <laughs> Thirteen. Fourteen. Oh, 13. Help me! Fourteen. <laughs> He's gonna kill us! Shoot him! Fifteen. Shoot him, Abram! <laughs> Don't you understand? He's going for 18. the other gun! Don't let him grab that gun! Don't let him grab the other gun! 20. There! There, right there! 21. Look! It's in the sand! Shoot him, Abram! Shoot him! Oh, Jesus. 25. That's 25. Wow. Yeah, the man, that's more than uh, Apocalypse Maybe now. 24. There's a couple of American there. Graffiti, Getting Straight, Journey to Shadow, The Conversation, Star Wars, Heroes, and Return of the Jedi combined. I think, as we all know, between this and Gremlins, Spielberg suggested a new rating system for two right. months after Temple of Doom PG-13 was created. But this was PG, so uh, those who think it was PG-13, it actually spawned PG-13, which came out eventually with Red Dawn as your first PG-13 movie. And, yeah. of course, LucasArts and Atari put out an arcade game. You probably played the hell out of that. I know I did. The Atariization of the Williams score. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and then they had little quotes from it. We walk from here, and we walk from here. <laughs> That's such a classic Hollywood line, isn't it? That's I feel like that must be in some other movie. Just the way he says that, you're like, man, I am in pure like 1940s hero mode. Like, we walk from here. <laughs> Christmas 1986, the film sets another record with 1.4 million VHS cassettes sold. Oh, wow. And who said this, Adam? You'll never guess. Nobody has ever fused thrills and laughter in quite the way that Spielberg does here. The most sheerly pleasurable physical comedy I've seen in years. Oh, Pauline what? Kale. Jeez. She liked something. That's crazy. Wow. That's amazing. And recognized the comedy instead of going, oh, it was funny, therefore it's terrible or whatever. I mean, you know, there's a lot of hatred of comedies from some of these critics as well so that's well even people shocking. magazine said uh, no parent should allow a young child to see this traumatizing movie it would be a cinematic form of child abuse there are no heroes connected with the film only two villains spielberg and lucas Come oh god people. by the way critic review the movie i mean what is that what even is that you're fired review the movie that's my review and now i have to go write 25 things you didn't know about demi moore <laughs> I'm, I'm an established yeah. critic. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get to the Ford list of essentials. We already covered uh, pointing, righteous anger. He's got that, of course, especially when he gets his boots on and goes in to save the kids. Smile and charm. Does he have smile and charm? I would like to show you this evidence There's as proof that he does. You're insulting them and you're embarrassing me. Eat it. Eat it. <laughs> this was a really good line which just never popped out to me as like a just an epic classic moment that should be at the forefront of all the trailers which is willie says that you're going to get killed going after your fortune and glory and he goes maybe but not today and then kisses yeah, her and line. then goes into action you're like oh my god i love it <laughs> i mean that was up there with like the the for luck rope swing or something you're like i just like what a hero moment he's so good yeah that's smile and charm, baby. There's smile and charm all over this. I mean, even that scene I was talking about with Chatter Lau, where he's like, oh, I was just asking some questions. You know, like, it's like, he's charming, man. 
Yeah, and the little flirtation they have in the bedrooms at Pencott Palace. How Harrison Ford is he in this? Wow. Do we have a new record? I, it's all I, the bases here, doesn't he? I think it's 100%. And he's well, it, 100%. Welcome to be 100% many, many times. He's already 100% in Raiders. He's 100% in Empire. I think he's pretty much 100% in Star Wars, we may have said. I feel like but, we had some uh, justification for knocking off 10% here, there, because there is no actual romance in Star Wars. So you take 10% off because there's not any <laughs> yeah. lover boy. There's lover yeah. boy all over this one. Yeah. He's putting and action and tough guy. And uh, it's everything. So, I mean, I'd say he's 100%. He's self aware that I'm Harrison Ford. Indiana Jones is awesome. I'm going to be as charming as I can. I'm going to kiss the girl before I go into action. I'm going to try and save those kids and then then save them later and oh man it's just like the smile he gets of just being 100 harrison ford you know this is 100 harrison ford i don't think i could even consider taking points off for anything in this <laughs> no because again the silliness goes on around him he doesn't even have to be silly you know i always rail against that tapestry scene from last crusade because now watching right. this which is essentially the goofiest movie ebert may have called it correctly in a positive review he said the most cheerfully exciting bizarre goofy romantic adventure movie it's quite an experience wait repeat also, that <laughs> he says it's the most cheerfully exciting bizarre goofy romantic adventure movie since raiders and it's a high praise to say that it's not so much a sequel as an equal it's quite an experience wow so God, I think that's why we loved him yeah <laughs> that's why we it loved is, him he called it, is it right goofy. it is goofy though but again the goofiness goes on around him and he's not goofy so when he gets goofy in last crusade i go eh. but anyway that's a whole nother right. show that we'll do well, in five ford fiestas from now this is sillier than i remember raiders of the lost ark being but i'm probably wrong remember the first time you had a movie that you took very seriously like say raiders of the lost ark and you watch it with the normie and they just start laughing and not taking it very seriously and you're like how dare you? How dare you? How <laughs> yes, dare you? That still happens. <laughs> Who gives a damn what you think? That ha still happens today. I'm not. You know, yeah, you know. but the but the truth is, they're probably not wrong. Those things probably are funny. I take movies very seriously. Harrison Ford movies even more seriously. But this movie begs not to be taken seriously. And if I watched it in the reverse order and watch Raiders afterwards, I bet I'd find a lot more fun. I bet there's nothing serious in Raiders, frankly. It's all pretty light, you know? There's nothing that serious about him getting punched by Marion because it's before they even have an interaction, she's punching him. That's funny. <laughs> like, that's that's what he gets? Oh, that's my God. Yeah. yeah, that's hello for her? That is funny, you know? <laughs> but I took it very seriously when I was a kid. So, yeah. So, I think this is the record for for shouts, not points and shouts. Points and shouts is a whole different matter. It's probably not the record for points. But it's got to be the record for punches. I think he outpunches. What was the punch count for Raiders of the Lost Ark? 17, 17. right? 17. Mm -hmm. 17. Let's see how many punches there are in Temple of Doom.
39. Okay, so to put that in context, there were 27 in his entire career up to this movie. <gasps> so he, he gets to, down to punching wow. people in Temple of Doom. Wow. That's fantastic. Wow. We finally made it here, Paul. We've documented all of these punches. We've followed the number of movies where he doesn't punch anybody. The amazing fact that the very first person he punches on screen is Jack Lemon, And more punches than he'd ever delivered on screen in one movie. Yeah. That's that's total that's now amazing. in 19 films of 66 punches. Now that isn't him getting punched or short round punching somebody or any other types of punches. That's just indie punching a guy. There are 66 through 19 films. So, wow. uh, and again, the majority of those, well over half, are Temple of Doom. I never quite realized that when he loses the gun at the beginning, when he hands the gun to Willie, it's hot. She, you know, drops it out the thing, and he says, uh, "Where's my?" that that is the reason for the joke at the emory doesn't have his gun i don't think i ever realized like never so quite not shoot, so there's no gunshots out of indy the whole part of that movie oh well yeah it's just uh no guns no yeah he never shoots a gun this entire movie oh no at the beginning yeah when he's shooting out the window and he, and he does hit the car and they wreck or whatever there's a great smile and charm through that window through that broken <laughs> window with the gun or whatever and when he hits that car and it goes off he just that smile he gives there is awesome and it made me wonder what the body count is for Temple of Doom. It's got to be pretty huge. And I saw one website said it was 38. I thought that seemed low. IMDb, one of the lists there, put it at 43. Moviebodycounts.com, which is a thing. Huh. It, lists, it lists it at 76. And that makes more sense to me. I believe 76 as a body count for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Even that actually seems a little low. But because the stuggies are getting off left and right. And then there's a whole water tank. And they're being picked off by the brits at the end 76 let's go with that wow that's got to be a body count record we're not counting that but uh well that wraps indiana jones and the temple of doom indy returns for indiana jones and the last crusade in five ford fiestas from now and we'll have special guest mara Kanopic on to talk about it but in the meantime we go from a franchise run to ford's first brush with oscars in 1985's witness oh fortune and glory kid still with the quotes Fortune and glory. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. 